Father, I thank You and praise You for showing up here today. Father, we set our faith in agreement. We want to hear from You. I thank You for a spirit of wisdom and uh, revealed knowledge for each individual of Your Word, what it says about us. Father, enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Help us to understand uh, the mechanics of how to get healed and how to have healing and how to keep healing. Father, help us to just latch hold of it so that we get it for ourselves and then share it with others. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go to the first one for me, Drew. We saw this in Daniel 11.32. Quick review. I I, I put these slides back in here at the last minute this morning um, just because I think it's important to to, to go over them again. But it said that the people in Daniel 11.32, the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now remember, strong means that you would have power and strength that's greater than average or what you expected. That you would have strength greater than what you expected is a byproduct of you knowing God. So if you find yourself in a spot that you need strength or power more than what you, your average person would have or that you're in over your head, you press in and get to know God because it will show up as a byproduct. And they said the next thing that would happen is you would do exploits. And we saw that the definition of exploits uh, out of the freedictionary.com is this, to employ one's talents to the greatest possible advantage. That is a byproduct of you knowing God, that all your toolbox, all your gifts and abilities would automatically be used to your greatest possible advantage as a byproduct of knowing your Father. Go to the next one. We saw this in Hosea 4, verse 6. It says, My people and my family are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So here's the other side of the coin. If you know God, you, you'll be strong. You'll have better, uh, more power than you expected. You'll do exploits. You'll use your talents and abilities to your greatest possible advantage. If you don't know God, you end up being destroyed, which means to ruin completely to render useless or ineffective, or to be subdued or defeated. Okay, so there's enough reason right there on the selfish end just to get to know your Father. Go to the next one for me, buddy. Thanks. Second Peter uh, 1 and verse 2 was this. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the what? Knowledge. Knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So if you want grace and peace multiplied to you, you get to know your Father and get to know Jesus our Lord. If you don't want those things, you should not even bother trying to find out anything about these two folks. Right? So don't, you know, here's the deal, and honest assessment, if you say you want grace and peace, and we'll tell you what they are in a minute in your life, and you want them multiplied to you, but you don't do anything to get to know God or Jesus, do you really want grace and peace? We saw this peace is this, that you'd be exempt from the rage and havoc of war. He said you wouldn't be exempt from war, but you'd be exempt from the rage and havoc of it. It's your immunity necklace. That would be something that you'd want to hang on to. Okay, and we saw that it also brings harmony in your life. That's good social relationships. Safety and security. How many know that's a good one to have in your pocket all the time too, isn't it? Okay, and then there's one last one, success, and that's however you define it. However success is defined in your mind. We see that all throughout the Bible. You, however, whatever height you want to go to is available to you. For some people, success is just getting the, the bills paid this month. For other people, success is they w- it wouldn't be a success for them unless that they ran a multi-bazillion dollar corporation and anywhere in between. So success is how you define it for you. Okay, And you get success as a result of knowledge of your Father and Jesus. Go to the next one for me, Bob. Grace, we saw this, that the Greek word is charis, or that's where we get the word charisma. It means privileges and advantages, and it's also translated favor in your New Testament. Privileges and advantages. Go to the next one, Drew. We saw advantages was this. There we go. It's favorable and a superior position 
or a beneficial factor or combination of factors that puts you in the, in the top spot. Remember we heard this in uh, the blessings of, the, of the, uh, the covenant. Are what? That you'd be the head and not the tail. That's an advantage. That's an advantage. Go to the next one. Privileges means this. Literally, it means private law, or you would have immunity from stuff. Immunity. And we saw the first thing that we were immune from a couple weeks ago was the wrath of God. If you believe on Jesus, that what he did is enough. When you get to know your father, you understand that you are not appointed under wrath. 10,000 might fall on one side, 1,000 fall on the other side. You'll be standing there. Will it be scary? Uh-huh. It'd be scary to be in the middle of 11,000 people dropping dead right around you. Let's think we were at a football game. Say we were at a college football game. And that some disaster happened. A bomb went off, God forbid, or nuclear, biological, chemical, whatever. Right? And you're in the section and 11,000 people just keeled over and you're standing there with your hot dog. That's scary, right? But you're immune from, if you know your Father, grace and peace be applied, you know, multiplied to you. Immunity be multiplied to you comes through your knowledge. If you know that nothing's going to hurt you, you can go anywhere without fear. So we saw that we were immune from wrath. Any kind of judgment or wrath, we're immune from. The next thing we saw that we were immune from, go to the next one, Drew, was this in Galatians 3.13. It said that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. It's written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And we saw that the Greek word for redeemed means a payment of a price to recover you from the power of the curse of the law. And we saw last week, real quick, that this that one section of the curse of the law, because it deals with finances, it deals with family relationships, and it deals with your health, that we saw the curse of the law, very specific, every sickness and disease that was known to man at that time, and every sickness and disease that wasn't known to man at that time, because we saw that Satan's getting better at trying to kill us. Because over time, hey, you know, we, we see these things in the, in the news all the time where, you know, there's a new strain of a virus that... Uh, or whatever, a new strain of a disease that, um, or bacteria that antibiotics won't work against. Is that, you know, and that's why they tell you don't use that antibiotic stuff on your hands, because you know what, then these viruses build up an immunity to it. Well, Satan's getting slick. The longer he's on the planet, the, all right, we'll try this, and it's like when we go from that angle, and then we come up with a new one over here and a new one over there, right? And something that was in a, in a bird over in Singapore is now, you know, in all the chicken plants. And, you know, y'all following me? Okay? That's the curse of the law to hunt you down. We're redeemed from it. Now, so that brings us to the question, if we're redeemed from every sickness that's known to mankind and every sickness that's not known to mankind, why do people in covenant still get sick? Do you ever ask that? If healing's for me, and if health is for me, why do I still get sick? If I've been redeemed from the curse, why? Well, we saw it last week, there's two reasons. The first one, go to the first one, Drew, is this, that just a few verses up in Galatians 3 and verse 10, it says this, for as many are as the works of the law are under the... So if you're trying to keep the Ten Commandments, if you're trying to, let me put it this way, if you are under any obligation to make God like you better or for God to be pleased with you to do certain things or not do other things, then you've put yourself under the law and put yourself under the curse, which is most of the body of Christ. Because ministers from about 300 A.D. have used behavior, used the word to manipulate behavior. And when they do put you under obligation as uh, laity... As just believers, they put believers under the curse. That's why believers still get sick. Because we feel like we have an obligation to do certain things or not do other things in order to be right, quote, quote, with God. And if you're doing anything to be right, quote, quote, with God, you place yourself under the curse. For it is written that cursed 
is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Well, that would mean you would have to know what all things in the book of the law were in order to do them, right? So that's what the Pharisees did. They memorized the book of the law. Because that's the first level of doing everything in the law is knowing the law. So they memorized the first five books of the Bible. We saw what Jesus said is, look, if you act like the Pharisees, you're not going to cut it because they're trying to build their own equity with God. You all remember that? Self-righteous. So here you go. You're going to put yourself under the curse if you're doing anything to build equity with God. If you just believe that what Jesus did is enough, then we have this one. We could take it off. We're not under the curse. This is why most Christians, it's the very first one I could find. I mean, if you are obligated to write your tithe check, you put yourself under the law and you're under the curse. If you're obligated to do the good checklist, pray every day, three times a day, because that's what Daniel did. Right? And, you know, you might not want to eat pork. Or, or any of those. You all following it? You put yourself under the curse. And if you have to shun the bad checklist, like, you know, I can't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with those that do, I'm not telling you to do those things, but if you are under the obligation that if you did slip up and you did say a cuss word when you dropped a hammer on your toe, and then you felt bad for it, and you're like, oh, I'm, you know, and you had to say ten Hail Marys and four Our Fathers, then you've put yourself under the curse. This is why most Christians get sick right here. Now, let's say we made the cut, and we're, we're, we made the cut, and we're, we know, we know we just, Jesus did is enough. You know, I'm, I, I understand not building my own equity with God. I know that I have equity just because what Jesus did. Let's say we made that cut. Why do we still get sick? Wouldn't that be the, right? Because that's not me. I'm not under the law. I don't put myself under the curse. That's a red flag for me. I don't do that. So, why would I still get sick? We just said it a minute ago, Hosea 4, verse 6 says this, My people, my family are destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge. And if you don't know that healing is for you, if you don't know how to get it and how to appropriate for yourself, it said to be destroyed is what? To be ruined completely? To be rendered useless or ineffective? Or to be subdued or defeated? I mean, if you don't know how that, you know, you don't have to have cancer, it could ruin you completely. Couldn't it? And then what if, what if, uh, you know, it was just like allergies. That could make you ineffective, right? And because of those things, it could make you subdued or even in a position of defeat because it robs you of your capacity to live life. So the other reason is that we get sick and we're not healed is because we just don't know how to grab a hold of it. Now, we saw this in Isaiah 53. Now, this was written in 712 B.C. Now, Jesus was... Uh, took stripes on his back and was put on the cross in 33 A.D. So it's about 750 years before Jesus ever came along and died. It said, Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are, present tense, healed. Okay? Now, if you didn't know that, even though you're not under the curse, you didn't put yourself under the curse, if you didn't know that, then you could be wide open. Because now remember... That in God's court, how he hands down judgments, one of the first rules was that he can't stand when you forfeit your rights. If you forfeit your right to healing, there's nothing he can do about it. Just like if you forfeited your right to vote this last week, nothing anybody could do about it. Right? You have the right to vote, but if you didn't exercise the right and you forfeited the right, then you really shouldn't be saying anything about nothing about how the country is going, because you forfeited your right, and you have no standing under the law because you didn't 
exercise your right. This is the same thing in heaven. You walk up to God and you don't exercise your right for healing. This is what happened with Job. Job didn't know he had any rights. Matthew 8 and verse 17, this is right out of Isaiah as well. This is uh, Matthew quoting Isaiah. It says that it might be fulfilled. Jesus did a whole bunch of miracles. And right after that it said that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sickness. And we saw that the word infirmities in the Greek means deteriorated capacity to live life, especially feeble from old age. So it's not just sickness and disease that Jesus took on himself. He took the, uh, you know, the old football injury. You know, my crickety-crackety knee. He took my bad back, my bad neck. Anything that would decrease your capacity to live life to its fullness, Jesus took on Himself. Now, we went through a whole bunch. I mean, it could be whatever it is that decreases your capacity to live life. I mean, you know, you don't have to have any kind of deteriorated capacity to live life under the covenant. If you do, whose fault is it? It ain't Jesus' fault because He already took. It's past tense. He took. He took. He took. Not He's going to take. He took. And so you could be asking God, oh, I don't know why God didn't take this from me. No, He already took it. He's not going to take it again. If you're going to hold it, that's different. Y'all follow me? Now, look what we saw these scriptures last week in Isaiah 1. I want to run through them again uh, real quick. Isaiah 1 and verse 18. I'll just hit them real quick. Because we did them last week. He says, come now, let us reason together. Let us reason together. This is God talking. He says, come now, let us reason together. So the very first thing we've got to understand before, when we're sitting down talking to God about anything, is that we need to be reasonable. Anybody that has kids, or if you were a kid, and you, you know your parents, would it be reasonable if your parents, because you were like 20 minutes late for curfew, struck you down with cancer? Would that be reasonable? So why would you think it's reasonable that God gave you whatever it is that you think that He gave you that would deteriorate your capacity to live life? Jesus said, I came to to give you life and have it more abundantly. It is not reasonable for you to think that your Father is doing anything to crunch down and deteriorate your capacity to live life. That's unreasonable. Because as a parent, I wouldn't do it to my kids, and I know my parents wouldn't do it to me. Right? Very first thing. Now come over here to Isaiah 43. This is a few pages over. In verse 25, look what God says. He said, I, even I, am He that blots out your transgressions for my own sake. That's your own purposes. And I will not remember your sins. That's your mistakes. He doesn't remember your sins or your own purposes, your mistakes or your own purposes anymore for His own sake. And then He tells you to do something. Put me in remembrance and let us plead together, declare that you may be justified or get a winning sentence. He says, look, when you come to me, I'm taking away everything that you think would hinder you from getting a winning sentence. And if you're messed up and if you fell short, I'm taking that all away. Now you come up here, put me in remembrance of my word, and his word says that he took our infirmities and bare our sickness. So I'm going to put him in remembrance of, our, of his word. And then he said, declare that you would get a winning sentence. So now you've got to say what you want. And I'll tell you, this right here is where a lot of Christians, they may, I can't get them to say, yeah, I'm healed. They'll say, I want to be healed. 
Say, thank you, Father, that I am healed because Jesus, and say this, Jesus already took my infirmities. He already bare my sicknesses. Well, why do I still have it then? You, you, what? You, and if you don't declare to the court that your Father is the judge, you walk in there and declare what you want, you're not going to get a winning sentence. If you don't declare that I want healing and health out of your own mouth out loud, then you're not going to. And a lot of people, they don't want it. A lot of Christians don't want it because they use whatever their ailment is as a crutch. That way, I'll use it as my get out of whatever, you know, uh, a social uh, event that I don't want to go to. I use it to get out of work when I don't want to go. I use it to get out of all kind of stuff. I even use it to get out of vacuuming and doing the dishes because if I, you know, be like, oh, maybe my spouse will do it for me. So do you really want to be healed? I think most people don't want to be healed. And the only time that they do is when it's life or death. They don't want to walk in health. They use, they use their stuff as a crutch. Pack up another page to uh, Isaiah 41. So here's the first thing in getting healed. You've got to decide you want to be healed or you want to be healthy. Because God's not going to do one more thing. Jesus already took stripes. He already took our infirmities. Not, he's not going to do it again. He's not going to go to the cross again. He's not going to get beaten again. He's not going to put the crown of thorns again. He's not going to go into hell again. He did it one time. It's already over. Now he'll here in verse 21 of Isaiah 41. He says, Produce your cause, says the Lord, and bring forth your strong reasons. So you need to go up there to the Father and tell Him, Look, i got this issue. Whatever it is, I have to wrap my ankle in an ace bandage every time I play a pickup game out in the neighborhood. And here's my strong reasons. I'm getting my butt kicked and I'm a covenant person. I shouldn't be getting my butt kicked on the court. So can we heal up this whole thing here? How do I get it healed? You all following this? Most people, they don't even have a strong reason why they even want to live life, let alone live in victory. Jesus said, produce your cause. Bring forth your strong reasons. He said, let them bring them forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they be, and let's consider them and know the latter end of them or declare unto us for things to come. So we see this, that you have an, every time that you come up on something and you come up there to produce your cause and declare what you want and bring your strong reasons, the Lord also says, let's look what happened in the past and do an after action report and let's find out where you missed it in the past or where somebody else missed it in the past. Let's see what they said and what they did and how that came out. Now let's look at what you want to do and let's declare where we want to go and how this one wants to come out. Y'all following this? Do you, you know, most people, they won't spend the time to sit down and do an after-action report to find out where they missed it. They'd be like, well, I just guess God didn't want me to do it. I didn't want to heal me that time. I guess he just didn't. Really? Read your Bible. It's already done. He says, come up here, let's sit down, reason together, let's talk about this. Let's do an after-action report and find out where you missed it because it wasn't on my end, says God. Because somebody's lying. Either God's lying or you're lying. The Bible says you're already healed. Your body might tell you you have stuff in it, but who are you going to listen to? Is God a liar or your body? My body's a liar, man. It tells me I'm hungry when I ain't hungry. It tells me you should eat, you know, Oreos and peanut butter and frosting when I shouldn't. It tells me when I'm running up that hill, you're going to die if you don't stop and walk right now. Because you know you're running out of air. Your muscles are going to shut down. It doesn't. It lies to you. So who are you going to believe, your body or God? Yeah, right, okay, so if you, that's your choice. Don't be, don't be blaming God like why I didn't get healed. I guess God didn't want to heal me. I guess it's for some and not for others. I don't know why some people don't get healed. I do. It's easy. 
Did you do any of these things? Did you declare with your strong reasons? Did you present your case? Were you reasonable? Did you plead your cause? Did you declare what you wanted to happen? Did you do an after action report on every other time that you've been through this or somebody else that you know and they missed it? Did we do that? We saw this in 1 Peter 2.24. This is 64 A.D., about 30 years after Jesus died. It says, Who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. What's righteousness again? Do we remember? Equity. And God's equity is what? Riches, honor, and life. He says we should live unto riches, honor, and life. Does that mean you will? No, you should. You should do a lot of stuff. That don't mean you do it. By whose stripes ye were, past tense, healed. You were healed. You've already been healed. Jesus is not going to take stripes again. You're already healed. Well, why is it in my body? Well, you didn't run it off. Because whose body is it? In Romans 12 and verse 1, it says to present our bodies a living sacrifice. You present your own body. It's your body. You do what you want with it. You need to dominate your body and dominate your flesh. Most people, they, never, they stopped learning how to dominate their flesh after they got potty trained at about two or three years old. They make their body hold up for messing themselves and then we never went any further past that dominating our body. We stay up too late. We sleep in or we get up too early. We eat whatever we want whenever we want to. We lay around or we do, don't lay around. If we feel like doing exercise, well, you don't dominate your body, and then you wonder why, why I have a mess in my body. Jesus ain't going to do one more thing for you. He already did it. So for you to say that God didn't do anything, you know, why He didn't heal me, or why am I sick, well, you're just saying, you know what, Jesus, I don't care that you took stripes on your back and you had your flesh ripped off. It's not enough. I would even say that's borderline blasphemy. Not even borderline. It full on is. To blame God why you aren't healed. When clearly, He says, I've already healed you. So let's look at this. That word uh, healed, by His stripes you were healed, because a lot of people, they say that's spiritual healing. (laughs) Well, that word means the cured, and it was in the New Testament 28 times, always in the context of somebody physically getting healed. Whether blind eyes were open, deaf ears were open, the lame got up off their mat and walked because they didn't have wheelchairs. So it isn't for your spiritual healing, it's for your physical healing. Now look here in John 4, we'll start here. I just want to look, now there's 28 separate times in the Gospels that record Jesus healed somebody. John 4 and verse 43, it says, Now after two days he, Jesus, departed thence and went into Galilee. Now let's just hold it right there. He departed from where? Well, he departed from Nazareth because the very next verse he says, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So he is in his hometown for two days. And before we pick up the story, I want you to remember. Real quick timeline. I'm not going to look at it in the Scripture because we don't have time. You can Jesus, he got baptized by John the Baptist. Then the Holy Spirit came down on him. Remember that? Then he went out into the desert for 40 days and he had that communion with the Holy Ghost. Remember that? Then Satan came and tempted him. Then he came out of the, the wilderness in power. Remember that. Then he goes to a wedding in Cana and his mama says, turn the water into wine. You remember that? And that was his first miracle or piece of power that came out of him. Do you all remember that? At the wedding in Cana. Then he leaves there and he goes to the Passover 
in Jerusalem, and that's when he makes, for the first time, the whip of, you know, out of small cords, and then he overturns it, and then he whips everybody and throws the money changers out, because he did that at the end of his ministry, too. Then after that, he starts preaching, and then it says at the end of John 2, he did a whole lot of miracles. Just one little, he did a lot of miracles. He did a lot of miracles. First time he did any healings. Doesn't really matter, just one quick blurb at the end of John 2. Did a lot of miracles and a lot of people believed on him. Now, let me ask you this question. If all of a sudden you found yourself had this healing power that you touched people and blind eyes were open and deaf ears and people had leprosy gone and people, that, what, what would be your first order of business? I would go home because, you know, mama and daddy and my brothers and sisters and all the people I grew up with, I could go help them. Billy Bob and the crutches. Right, all that. Wouldn't you go home? That's what Jesus did. He gets up and he goes home to Nazareth. Because now i got this great power. Where's the, I could heal. Man, people are getting healed. And there's people in my family I want to get healed. So he heads to Nazareth. Now, let's look um, real quick over here. We're just gonna, it's in four Gospels, this thing. We're going to hit them real quick. Luke 4, we'll start there. We'll try and piece the time together and see what happened. Because it's kind of like... You ever watch anything, like any big news event, and then every network has their own angle? You know what I mean? They got, a lot of times they have their own camera angle, but uh, a lot of different times, this guy will have this take on it, that guy will have that take, and this commentary, this guy will say that guy. So, you know, we have our favorite network that we go watch because we like the angle that they present. You, you all following with me? All right, so let's look at the different angles here in the Gospels. Luke 4. In verse 16, it said, And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So he goes to church. It was his custom. He grew up in church. He's going to church. And stood up to read. So in the synagogue, they let different people out of the congregation come read the Torah. It's a big honor or whatever. So I guess he came home. He'd been gone for a while. They all knew him. He grew up in church. Let's let Jesus read. Can I read? Sure. So he cracks open the scroll. And so they deliver him the book. And he opens it up. And he found, that means they didn't hand it to him and said, read this. He found what he was going to read. Now, you understand, in the synagogue, they have a schedule. Every, you have a reading. Everybody in every synagogue worldwide reads a certain passage on this day. That's how it is in Judaism. <laughs> he's already messing with them. Because he ain't reading the thing that he's supposed to be reading that every other synagogue on the planet this day is reading. Okay, so he's already out the box. Then he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Good news to the poor will be good news to poor people. You don't have to be poor anymore. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering a sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised, preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book. He gave it again to the minister. And then he sat down and all eyes were on him that were in the synagogue that were fastened on him. Now, if you read that you'd be, and you don't understand what happened, you think, well, big deal. He sat down. First he messed up. He read the wrong thing, but then he sat down. He didn't go back to his seat. He sat down in what's called Moses' seat. Every synagogue had a seat at the front called Moses' seat, and whoever sat in Moses' seat presumed to have the same authority to speak the law that Moses had. I mean, you don't sit in that seat. Some Pharisees, Jesus said, y'all try and take over the seat, but you don't... So he sits in Moses' seat. What? He's a carpenter. He ain't a Pharisee. He's not a teacher of the law. He's a carpenter. So everybody's eyeballing him. 
Well, he's sitting at the front on this platform in Moses' seat. (laughs) So, uh, then he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He just says, I'm the Messiah. And they obeyed him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said unto him, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? And then he says, Surely you'll say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself, or whatever we have heard you do in Capernaum, do here also in this country. He ain't been to Capernaum yet to do any miracles. That's the next stop after this one. So now he's getting kind of sarcastic with them. Verily, verily, I say unto you that no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, and there was a famine there, and the heaven was shut up three years and six months, a great famine throughout all the land, but none of them was Elijah sent to, save unto Sarepta, a city in Sidon, a woman that was a widow. She's not even in covenant. That's a whole different country. That ain't Israel. There's people dying and starving in Israel, and God sends his prophet to Lebanon. What? That's what he says to them. And then he, then he rubs it in a little further. He said there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed save Naaman the Syrian. Well, the Syrians were their arch enemy. No lepers got cured, but the prophet of God, he cures one of their enemies. He says, what? And they all were in the synagogue, heard these things, and they were filled with wrath. And they rose up to thrust them out of the city and led them to the brow of the hill that the city was built on, that they might cast them down headlong. They tried to kill them. All right? Not a good day. Not a good day. Now, it also says some stuff in Matthew. Look over Matthew 13 real quick. And it starts in verse 53. And it said that, uh, and it came to pass, when Jesus finished these parables, he departed and he came into his own country. Now, he, he just got done talking about the uh, Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? Blessed are the meek. All that. And then he talks about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. Then he says about the wise man that built his house on the sand. Right? And I mean the wise man built his house on the rock, and the other one built his house, foolish man built his house on the sand. Then that's what all happened in between all that while he was at the feast. And so now he comes into, into Nazareth in verse 54, and he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch as they were astonished, and said, Where hath this man wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mother Mary and his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And aren't his sisters here with this? Whence hath this man have all these things? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Over in Mark 6. Now I want to hone in on this, and then we're going to look at what really happened here. Because in order for us to get healed, we've got to understand what happened, uh, how not to get how to how to miss it. Because these people missed healing. And here we go in Mark 6 and verse 1. It says, And he went out from thence, and he came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, even such mighty works that are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Here's the first thing you've got to understand about 
you trying to minister healing to somebody else or you receiving healing from God. That if you're not in a position of honor, you can't minister anything to anybody. And if God is not in a position of honor in your life, you won't be able to receive from Him. Because Jesus said over and over and over, a prophet isn't without honor in his own country, in his own house, in his own kin. These people did not honor Him. They could not receive anything from Him. Because we know you, man. We grew up with you. Who are you to tell us anything? Now, I have heard from well-meaning people that have no understanding, well, if healing's for today, why don't you just go to the hospital and start healing people? You ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered that? Well, if healing's for today, how come we don't have, why, why aren't we just walking in the hospital healing people? Are you in a position of honor in any of those people's life? You know who's in a position of honor? Who do they receive from most people in the hospital? The doctors. They're in a position of honor. You're not. They will receive nothing from you. Most of your family members will receive nothing from you. They'll receive from the doctor. These people didn't receive from Jesus. Jesus. It was Jesus. The Master. King of Kings. Prince of Peace. The Lion of Judah. The Lamb slain before the foundation of the Word. The Word who was in the beginning with God. He made the whole thing. They didn't receive from Jesus because they didn't honor Him. Why do you think that they would receive from you? if you're not in a position of honor in somebody's life. Now, I'm not saying they could worship you, but they have to have a position, they have to have you in a position that they could receive from, that they listen to what you're saying, that they'll receive what you're saying. Do you know that Jesus, it says that He learned obedience by the things that He suffered. That Greek word is what He experienced. How I many know He had an experience here that He didn't repeat what He did here? He never, once after this, he never took healing to anybody. He let them come to him. He never tried to put himself in a position of honor. Now, he should have been in a position of honor, shouldn't he? Dude's 30 years old. He grew up in this town. They know him. He was perfect. Maybe that's why he didn't have any honor. Human nature. We don't like people that do better than us. But whatever the reason was, he wasn't in a position of honor when he showed up here. Even his brothers and his sisters. Now, I know Mary honored him because she's the one that told the servants to go get the jugs of water till we could turn them into wine. That was before this happened. And I know at the end of the day that James, his half-brother, listed right there, he's an apostle. He runs the church in Jerusalem, so he must have come around. So just because somebody doesn't honor you right now in this second of time, that doesn't mean that you won't be in a position of honor. So don't write them off. Follow me? Just keep living what you live. Walk in the light. You remember walking in the light is walking according to your conscience? Because the Spirit of man is the light or candle of the Lord. But know this, you can't force nothing on anybody. If they won't receive from you, just shut it down. It's not, well, they didn't get... No, listen, it ain't on your end. You're not the one doing the healing anyway. You didn't take stripes on your back so they could be healed. Don't get offended. I'm sad for you. Let me find somebody who does want to get healed. This is why we can't go into the hospital and start raising people up. Because we're not in a position of honor. They honor what the doctors say. They honor medical science. Fine. That doesn't show bad on God. That doesn't mean that the Word's not true. In fact, the Word's absolutely true. If you look in the Bible, you'll find out that if you're not in a position of honor, even Jesus couldn't do anything. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. Go to the next one. 
And he could there do no mighty work. Did he say he wouldn't? No, it said he couldn't do any mighty work, save he laid hands on a few sickly folk and healed them. Got a few colds and a few sniffles taken care of, right? And the rest of them, he couldn't do anything. And he marveled. You know what that means in the Greek? That he was numb with shock because of their unbelief. He went home to mama and his brothers and his sisters and where he went to high school and junior high and elementary school where he took his carpenter's apprenticeship and where all he did all of his cabinetry work and his building a house and he knew all these people and the church that he grew up in, he was shocked, numb with shock because they didn't believe. And he couldn't do anything because of their unbelief. Why don't Christians get healed? These were all covenant people. He was in church. Could not do one thing. Except a few sickly folks, a couple sniffles here. Maybe somebody, you know, had a zit or something. Shocked because of their unbelief. Now, Jesus couldn't do it. Look over here in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. I want you guys to see it with your own eyes. Y'all know it. You've heard me quote it. You've heard other people quote it. But I want you to remember that Jesus could not do any mighty work because of their unbelief. He couldn't do anything for them because of their unbelief. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and... If He couldn't do any work that day yesterday, He couldn't do any mighty work today, and He won't be able to do any mighty work for anybody forever because of their unbelief. If you don't believe it, Jesus Himself can't do anything for you. You following this? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you extrapolate that out, you know there's no sickness in heaven, right? So there's going to be healing in heaven. Why can't unbelievers be there? Because Jesus can't do anything for them. If Jesus couldn't heal them yesterday, and He can't heal them today, and He can't heal them forever, and we know there's no sickness in heaven, there can be no unbelievers there. Because there's no sickness there. And if He can't heal them here, how could He heal them there? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You all following me? If you don't believe for healing now, why do you think that He'll heal you then? If He can't get you healed now... Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you don't accept healing now, why do you think that you're going to accept healing in heaven when I get to the great by and by? Why would you think that? If you can't get rid of your infirmities and your ailments now, when He took stripes on His back now, if you don't believe that He could do it now and He already did it back in 33 AD, why do you think that He could do it in heaven? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He could there do no mighty work. He was numb with shock because of their unbelief. You better find a way to start believing to get your healing now. If He couldn't heal you, why? Right? Or is it that you do believe that He could heal you but only when you're in heaven? And what scripture are you basing that on? What, what teaching are you basing that on? That He'll heal you when you get to heaven, but He can't do it now. Is Jesus going to die again and take stripes on His back again once you get to heaven? 
Do you see how stupid it is for you to say that God didn't heal me? I don't know why He didn't choose to heal me now. I don't know why God heals some now and doesn't. Do you see how stupid, I mean literally stupid it is to make those statements? If Jesus Himself, shock, numb with shock, because of their unbelief, couldn't do anything then, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, why do you all of a sudden think that you could believe for healing once you walk into the pearly gates, but you can't believe for it now? Wow, I never thought of that before. So think about that as we go on to this next part of the story. We're going to pick it up. Go ahead, uh, Drew, to the next one. Back to this guy in John 4. Remember, he left that two days he spent there doing that. He leaves out shocked. And he's totally numb because his family and his friends, he couldn't help them. You ever felt like that? All right, well, what did he do? Well, no, he just went on to the next town. He went on with the mission. Because you know what? Next, there's somebody I can help. Verse 45 of John chapter 4. Now this is after the two days he was at Nazareth. He leaves and then he came into Galilee and the Galileans received him. Well, they put him in a position of honor. You know why? having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem in the feast. Remember when I said when he was down there he did a lot of miracles? Now they put him in a position of honor because they've seen stuff. His family, they didn't see anything. They just heard him talking and he's not in a position of honor. So, Jesus came again into Canaan of Galilee where he made the water into wine... And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, Canaan is about 35 miles away from Capernaum, about how the crow flies. I don't know how the road system was, but if you just look on the map, it's about 35 miles. Now, it implies that the nobleman was where? At the wedding where Jesus made the water into wine. Because otherwise, how would this guy know to even come to Jesus for anything? And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and he besought him that he would come down to Capernaum and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Is Jesus in a position of honor in this guy's life? Apparently, because he's coming to him for something. Did you notice Jesus didn't go to this guy? I want you to understand that after Nazareth, Jesus never went to anybody and sought them out to bring healing to them. Did you hear me? People came to Him wanting healing. Well, if God wants to heal me, that's just up to Him. It's up to the Lord. Really? He's not going to hunt you down. It's available to everybody that comes after it. Seek and you'll ask and it'll be given to you. Knock and it'll be opened. (laughs) Okay, so let me get this straight. That we, in our infinite wisdom, we think, well, the Lord will heal me if He wants to. The Creator of the universe is going to hunt you down to force healing on you because you're so important that He would stop everything to hunt you down and force healing on you. Take it! Take it! You see how silly? You know what? Hell has done a great job of making this whole subject of healing so twisted and warped that it's almost impossible for anybody who's been in church for five minutes to receive anything. 
I go to the three-year-olds because they haven't been ruined by adults that say that God can't heal you. They don't know yet. Verse 48, And Jesus said unto him, ah, I like this, He said, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. This right here you should underline in your Bible and write it down on a sticky pad because he said ye, you see the word ye? That's plural. That means you all. Yet he's talking to one man. So what this tells me is, is he's talking to a whole lot of us. Except you all see signs and wonders, you all will not believe. This is a truth for the ages. Do you remember the, Galilee, the Galileans that were at the feast? That they put Jesus in a position of honor because they had seen what He did. And He says, except you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And this is a self-perpetuating downward spiral cycle. We don't see miracles, so we don't believe. And because we don't believe, we don't see miracles. And we don't see miracles or healings, we don't believe. We don't believe because we don't see miracles and healings. Somebody's got to have some crazy out-of-the-box faith for us to get one sign and miracle done so everybody else can start to believe. What was the sign that this guy, the nobleman, had seen for him to even ask Jesus? That he witnessed personally. Actually, he didn't see it, he drank it. We had nasty, unfiltered, not Brita water, and now we got really great, great wine. Could you heal my son? Y'all follow me? And the reason we don't believe it is because you haven't seen anything that would make you believe it, and that's the absolute truth of the matter. And I think if you do an honest assessment with yourself, you, you'll admit it to yourself, even in the quiet of your own, you know, lock yourself in the bathroom and turn the fan on or whatever so no one can hear you, just be like, you know, that's right. Jesus nails this in one pithy statement of why people don't receive their healing. First off, they're not, Jesus ain't in a position of honor, and then when they do ask Him, He says, you know what? You won't believe it unless you already see Me heal somebody else. Thomas, let me see the nail prints. I don't believe that someone else said you're raised from the dead. Because we don't believe nothing unless we see it. Do we? We've been raised that way because we're intellectuals. Lay it out for me logically. I want to see evidence. I mean, there's no faith in that. Jesus said, unless you saw something, you're not going to believe it. So, the nobleman says to him, Sir, come down unless my child's going to die. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke and then he went on his way. How do I know that he believed that it was spoken? Because he went on his way. He did what Jesus told him. Now let's just stop right here because every other time that we talk about the reason he couldn't, why was the reason Jesus couldn't do a healing? Because of unbelief. Why was the reason this guy got healed? Because he believed. So we need to hone in. Here is the thing that you need to latch on is what's going to get you to grab hold of your healing or what are you going to slip through your fingers? What's the thing? That's the anchor. The anchor is believing. Now it says over here in Matthew 17, now look, we'll get into this a lot uh, bigger on, on a bigger scale at another time as we go forward, but I just want to hit this real quick. Matthew 17. This is where most people who believe in healing 
miss it. Because they'll lay hands on somebody and they don't get healed. Then they'll make a statement like this. Well, they must not have had faith enough to be... It was their faith. They missed it. They didn't have faith to get healed. You ever hear that? So we blame it on the person. We blame it on the person because they didn't have faith. And what's Jesus say in Matthew 17 and verse 20? He said, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it will remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. So how much faith do you have to have? How, how big is it? Y'all, I mean, it's tiny. Tiny. So how much faith do you have to have? Just a little bit. Now this is where people miss it, and this is where ministers miss it, because they're going to shoot for, take up your bed and walk, and if they don't believe that because they haven't seen or they're not in a position of honor, they don't get them down to let's find out what you do believe. Because God only needs a mustard seed size faith. And we're trying to go and hit a watermelon size faith to get you up out of the wheelchair. And if that ain't working, then let's find out what you do believe. Because you haven't seen anything yet. Do y'all follow this? And I know that faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. What kind of Word? Rhema, the spoken word. So if this person, the only way that faith that they're going to believe is that they hear something specifically from God. Even when Jesus, would that not have been Rhema when He was at Nazareth? That's the word speaking. That's Rhema. They didn't believe it. They still didn't believe it. Because He wasn't in a position of honor and they hadn't seen anything yet. So when you're coming out the gate and there's somebody that they're just not going to believe either. You're not in a position of honor because they honor the doctor more, or they ain't seen nothing yet to make them believe that they can get up out of the wheelchair, then we need to whittle them down and find out what it is that they can believe. Mustard seed. Y'all follow me? Find out what we can believe, and then we'll hook on there. Can you believe that you could wiggle your big toe by next week? Now listen, this is how you're going to get somebody up out of a wheelchair to don't believe nothing. The Bible says from faith to faith you grow. The righteousness, the equity of God is revealed from faith to faith. From this level of faith to the next level of faith to the next level of faith. So we don't just go, well, you know what, they didn't, they didn't get up out of the wheelchair, their cancer ain't gone, they didn't believe. Let's find out what they can believe and then start there. Instead of just giving up and going, well, I don't know why God didn't heal them. You know why? Because this is the easiest thing in the world to do this. Easiest thing in the world to find out what somebody really believes. But you've got to have enough guts to say you don't really believe that you're going to get up out of the wheelchair, do you? Or that the cancer is gone. Or what, and what is it that we could get you down to believing? Would you believe that, you know, if you take radiation, you'll be cancer-free? Would you believe that if you go to enough physical therapy, you could move your right foot? And then we can move your right leg. Then we can work on the left leg. Y'all following me? In Timothy, Paul said, as 1 Timothy um, 1.5 and 2 Timothy 1.5, he uses in both of those references, 1 Timothy 1.5 and 2 Timothy 1.5, he talks about Timothy having unfeigned faith. Now, if you have unfeigned faith, could you have feigned faith? Feigned faith is fake faith. It's imitation faith. It says over in Hebrews 11 that the Egyptians... Right? They attempted to go into the Red Sea. They essayed. They attempted to do the same thing that the children of Israel did by going through the Red Sea. What was Israel's rhema? What was their spoken word from God? Go through the Red Sea. What was Egypt's spoken word from God? Let my people go. You can't copy somebody else's rhema and think that it's going to work for you. 
Look, yeah, if somebody had diabetes and they threw away their insulin and they got healed, you throw your way away your insulin, you'll die. You don't follow me? Because you can't copy what somebody else did. This is where people miss it. It's where ministers miss it because, oh, we had a great miracle service, blah, blah, blah. So then we try to repeat that same thing the next time. And if so-and-so did 50 jumping jacks, then 50 jumping jacks must be the magic number to get somebody healed from cancer. So everybody, let's do 50 jumping jacks. Y'all tracking with me on this? These are things for you to think about and meditate on how you get your own healing. Because you know what? If you're sick and and you're speaking the word and it ain't happening, then you better take an assessment that I'm not believing somewhere because I've already been healed. Jesus ain't taking stripes on his back again. It already happened. And if I can't believe that he's healing me right now, it's not showing up right now, why do I think that he'll show up in heaven? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to take an honest assessment. What can I believe? What is it that I do believe? Will it go away if I take the Advil? Do I need to go to the doctor? Look, if if you're speaking the word and you think that you're in faith and it's not working, it's unfeigned faith. I mean, it's feigned faith. It's not unfeigned faith. It's imitation faith. You can say your confession's all you want. If you don't really believe them, it ain't going to happen for you. You can speak the word all you want. You need to find out exactly what you do believe. If you can only believe, for, that's why it said in that uh, inspirational moment in Mark 16, it said that these signs would follow you, that you'd lay hands on the sick and they would recover. It didn't say that they would be miracle, boop, pop out of the bed right now every time that you laid hands on somebody. What it said that every time you lay hands on the sick as a believer, and they believe that you, they would recover. If you can only believe for a recovery process, then let's start there. You all following me with this? Because we'll just, you'll be like, well, I believed and I said it and I agreed and it didn't happen, so I don't know why God didn't do it. Well, God already did it. He ain't doing nothing else. And if it misfired, then whose end is it on? Then let's take an honest assessment. What do I really believe? Because Jesus is handcuffed Oh, your level of faith. And if you're saying you believe one thing and you don't believe that, is that a faith confession or a lie? It's a lie. It ain't a faith confession. A faith confession is you say what you believe. Not you don't say what you hope you believe. And see, because we'll give the right church answer, we'll say, yeah, I'm healed. And you'll be like, yeah, I'm healed. Really? And then you'll still deal with whatever, and you can't shake whatever it is. You need to take an honest assessment. What is it that you actually believe? And where can you start? Look, it's the same thing with finance. I'm going to use finances because it's almost easier. I don't believe that a million dollars is going to fall into my lap tomorrow. Can I believe that my bills will get paid? Yep. And if you can't believe that, could I believe at least two of them will get paid? Could I believe I at least have enough money for groceries and gas? To get it down to what you actually could believe that God could do for you tomorrow. Could He do all the way up to a million? Yeah, but the problem is, you don't believe that He could do up to a million. You don't see how he could do it. And except you see a sign and wonder, you don't believe. Y'all following me? So next time you're struggling with how come I can't get rid of this, let's just stop. There's no wrong answer. There's no condemnation. Let's just find out what we actually do believe. Do you believe that, well, all right, if I take enough supplements, all right, God, I know you'll hook up with the right supplements, or if I go to the doctor, or if I do a diet and regimen plan, do I do, you, you follow me? Find out what it is that you can hook your faith up behind. If it ain't just, you know, or I'm done with this right now. Most people, they're not, they, they don't have that level where they could be done with something right now. They have to have some kind of a process. That's why with Naaman, remember when Jesus said, uh, no lepers are clean. Naaman, you know what he had to do? He had to dunk 
in the river seven times. Seven times. Why did seven times? I don't know. It probably took him seven times of doing it because he figured it wouldn't happen if he just did it one time. That there's a process that has to happen. And that's what most people think, that they have to go through a process. It can't be instantaneous. Because we don't really believe that it'll be instantaneous. So if you have to believe for a process, set up your own process. Set up how many days you have to do something. Y'all tracking with me? This will help you in the middle of fighting off sickness. If you don't think, that's why I tell you, this is what, I'll say, something will come on me and I'll get rid of it within 24 hours. Have you ever heard me say that? You know, because that's my process. I know that within 24 hours, this thing's gone. And a lot of times it'll be, I'm going to bed, and when I get up, it's gone. Because I don't really have the faith to go, right this second, it's gone, and then I'm checking my symptoms, and if they're not gone or not. But when I go to sleep, (laughs) I'm not checking to see if the symptoms are gone or not. I know when I wake up, I'm done with this. So set up what your own process is that you can believe. Maybe it's, you know... Drinking three Alka-Seltzers, standing on your head, jumping up and down on a dog, barking up, do 50 jumping jacks, whatever your process, you follow me? It doesn't matter what the process is, but you have to have something that you do that you know you can put your faith behind in order to have healing show up in your life. Is that enough for today? Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. Seal it in our hearts. Holy Spirit, bring it back to our remembrance as we're fighting through any kind of attacks in our body that you'd bring this Word uh, to the forefront of our mind, that we'd understand that we, we determine how and when we get healed. Because healing has already been paid for and it's already ours. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.